So it was like 17, 18 years ago, which is different than 13, 14 years ago, but 17, 18 years ago, so we were working at this church. We were living in South Scott County, uh, uh, east of, yeah, east of New Prague. Thank you. Appreciate it. I love when people are paying attention. I'm not even throwing anything today. Last week it was nice. Many people were scared that I was going to cut myself. Come on. Throw me a bone. Give me a break. Seriously? I'm going to cut myself? you got to be kidding me. At any rate, so we like announce, right? We're like, hey, we're going off on this thing. We don't even know what it's going to be about, but it's called a church plant. We didn't even know the name at the time. We announced in December 2003. And, and, and so that afternoon, okay, after the morning services, um, some friends of ours, uh, Jim and Kathy Nielsen, they reach out and they're like, uh, they're like hey, heard you guys are leaving, you know, and we're like, yeah, yeah, and they're like, well, would you mind if we'd come over this afternoon? I'm like, yeah. it's a little late notice, but sure, why not, you know, come on out over. They were good people, they still are good people, and, uh, and, and they, we had done life together, and we'd done ministry together, and we'd cried together, and we'd helped people together, and so it was just, it was really this cool thing, right, and, and, and certain, you know, that, that they were going to come over, and, you know, tear, and embrace, and hug, and, and so they get over, right, and, and they're like, um, they're like, so what's, what's going to be going on, you know? And so we kind of lay out the plan, even though there really wasn't a plan. And, uh, and, uh, or, and, uh, and they're like, wow. Well, would you be interested in selling us your house? <laughs> I, and we're here just like, I, 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 sure, why not? Yeah, we'd be. And so we negotiated like right there, right? And it was a good, pretty good offer. Pretty good offer, okay? It, it, it has, depending upon how you use the inflection of your voice, um, it can be, it's not what I thought I wanted, but it's pretty good. So, like, if you're like, you know, that's a pretty good offer, you should probably take it. You know, it's kind of like, it's not what you were expecting, but it's good enough, right? But it can also be like, my goodness sakes, alive. So, if someone were to say, that's a pretty good offer. That's, that's like a smoking offer. Okay, you know what I'm saying? The tone of the voice dictates the phrase, right, and its meaning. All about inflection. How you say the words determines the meaning. We've all negotiated, right, for, for job compensation, buying a new vehicle, selling a vehicle, buying a new house, selling a new house, or an old house for that matter. Service delivery, okay, if someone's going to do something at our house, often we'll ask the question, is that your best price, right? You know, is that the best you can do? Tanya hates when I do this. Absolutely hates when I do this. Walks away the second I even get close to those words. But I am my father's son. <laughs> Hebrews chapter, verse 14, chapter 4. It's really an idea today that will be will be teased only to be replayed again next week and, and really for the rest of this book. Listen. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. The, the imagery is Old Testament. The, the duty is, is the person who stands between God and the people, okay? It, it's the person who's like right there. The history is rich, right? And, and really, you would argue that the, the history are the giants when they're in their best state of mind, giants of the faith. We have a guy, a character by the name of Aaron. We have a character by the name of Moses, I think you could say, played this role. 
the need, okay, the need for a high priest is, is that there has to be someone. You've got to have some grease between the creator and the created. People will ask me, well, how has your job changed in the last few years? And I would say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm responsible on Sunday mornings. And, you know, people have made fun of that in the past, my brothers specifically. Um, and, and then I'm saying, you know, I probably am as interested in the vision and passion and direction of Timberwood Church as anyone. Certainly not more than anyone, but certainly as much as anyone. And then I say, I'm Greece. Because when you have a bunch of strong personalities in staff, when you have a bunch of strong personalities in the community, the faith that exists here, you need some grease, right? Otherwise, otherwise things wear hard. The need for a high priest is you got to have some grease between the creator and the created. In the Old Testament perspective, the high priest would go into this physical place, this, this physical space, and represent the people. The distinction here is that this great high priest goes into the heavens and represents the people. It could be described as a distinguishing characteristic, and it is most certainly a high view of Jesus Christ. This high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, the Lagos, all that we have said in the past few weeks, all that will remain unsaid, until eternity allows a slow reveal, a great high priest. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Now, often we think of a confession in terms of um, you're on the stand or you're in a, uh, yeah, that too. But you're like in this spot, right? This space in which you are being accused of something and so you're asked to confess, right? And sometimes when a confession is bad, it can be a coerced confession. But, but, but largely we think of confession as admitting the wrong that was done. And if you can get a signed confession that was not coerced, that's the gold standard. But that's not what we're talking about here. So take that idea of confession and get it out of your brain. The confession here is holding fast to what is true. I confess the things that are true. The writer of Hebrews is arguing, hold fast to the things that we confess, that we speak about, that we live out in our lives, the things that are true in my life, the things that are true in our lives. which invites a question, right? What are the things that are true in our lives? I mean, what, what would we confess? If you were asked to create a confession of the things that are true in your life, what would those things be? And if we want a clue in terms of what our confession really is, look at how we act. Look at how we behave in everyday life. We live out the things that are true for us. What things are true? Then when we look at that confession, okay, attempt to understand the difference between the things that we confess that are temporal, short-term, and the things that are eternal, long-term. Now, it's not to say that all short-term temporal things are bad. No, no, far from it. Marriage is a temporal thing. It's a very good thing, okay? 
But there are some temporal things in which we spend a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of resources, the things that are true about our lives, that if we were forced to confess, we would have to say, yeah, that's true about my life. Some temporal things that aren't important at all that have not much in the way of value outside of this short-term reality. What things are temporal, and then what things are important for eternity. And these are the things that should form our confession. Probably when the writer of Hebrews is saying, confession, hold fast our confession, It would revolve around ideas that that God creates and God redeems and that the Son, the Logos, the Word of God was incarnated, that Jesus was human and the Son of God at the same time, that Jesus lived and all that that means, and Jesus died and all that that means, and that Jesus was resurrected and all that means. If we've never taken the time to think about what our confession would be, take this time this week. Grab a quiet moment early in the morning, late in the evening to, to, to write a confession. Write a confession of the things, not that you wish were true in your life, but the things that are true in our lives. And then look at the confession and say, okay, does this reflect the reality of what Hebrews is talking about. And if it doesn't, get to work. Verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. When we view Jesus, we don't view Jesus as someone who is detached from reality. It's important that we have a high view of who Jesus Christ is in his deity, in being the Son of God. But it is equally important that we have a high view of Jesus in his humanity. It it is critical that we understand the Savior that we follow isn't someone who is detached from the human experience, but someone who is intimately acquainted with the human experience the human experience. Jesus gets it. He's been tempted in every way. There's not a new temptation that we are going to come up with that Jesus will say, oh, didn't see that one coming. No. No. Tempted by food? Jesus has been there. Tempted by power? Jesus has been there. Tempted by the thought that God doesn't care. You need someone to prove that God... Jesus is like, no, I know that God cares. I don't need to test God. Tempted to worship something other than God. Power, sex, money. The Bible doesn't articulate it. It just has these broad categories. Don't think for a second that all sorts of people didn't offer Jesus all sorts of things. If you just come with me, if you just do this, here I am, take me. All sorts of opportunities. So that when Hebrews writes, one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, it's what the author means because it's what's true. 
the question of identity, who I am, you should be this. I wonder how many people came to Jesus and said, you know something, you should really be, you'd be really good if you were the leader of the Roman Empire. You'd be an awesome Caesar. You should think about that. I mean, you could do it, man. You could flat out do it. Ultimately, the question of getting beat up for identity. I mean, just check this one on for size, right? Because he identifies as being the son of God. He identifies himself as God, okay? And he's got people all around him, including his followers, who just don't get it. I mean, in his context, in his time, his stand for God made him the enemy of just about everyone. And the ones who held no animus were just disappointed until his resurrection. Verse 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable, this is 15, I understand that, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. Because of that, we're adding to the text, not adding to the canon, just adding to the text. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Easily one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Are we willing to take a chance? Because of what Christ has done, we can take a chance. Which might be how it feels the first couple of times. When we're new to this faith game, when we're, when we're new to a relationship with Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ says, trust me, and the first couple of times you trust Jesus Christ, you're like, it kind of seems like I'm taking a chance. What's the probability that this is going to work out? But we can develop confidence that we can get two things, mercy and grace. We've said it before, mercy is withholding the bad things that I do deserve. Grace is giving me the good stuff that I don't deserve. Mercy and grace. Mercy, withholding the bad stuff that I do deserve. Grace, giving me the good stuff that I don't deserve. Now, the propensity that we have is to get these two flip-flopped. Okay, In our brains, we think we don't deserve the bad stuff. And in our brains, we think we do deserve the good stuff which is exactly opposite of what the Bible teaches. And we don't like that, right? Because we like to think of ourselves as good people who deserve good things. We deserve the bad. It's the reality of living in a fallen world. We cannot escape that fact. Even if you were a really, 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 really good person, better than Mother Teresa, you still live in a fallen world you're still going to get bad because that's what you get when you live in a fallen world. Now add to that that all of us, the Bible tells us, all of us sin. So given that reality, the thought that we deserve good, it's not what the Bible teaches. We, we don't deserve good. So mercy is God withholding the bad and grace is God giving us the good. 
the reality of the human experience, the reality of living in a fallen world, is that even though we don't think we deserve the bad, we do. And God enters this human experience and offers good, which is how God rolls, even though we don't deserve it. Now, the question then becomes like, well, what if I've asked for mercy and grace but haven't received it? What if I asked for something and it didn't happen? A couple thoughts about this, right? We must place ourselves within the Jesus experience environment. There, there was nothing about Jesus' life that was pain-free. Jesus' life was not about the minimization of pain, of discomfort, of frustration, okay? At the same token, Jesus' life was also filled with profound joy. There's this undeniable experience of joy and delight. Read the Gospels. It's all there. I can easily imagine Jesus laughing a lot. I think he would have liked really good food. Probably not pork ribs, but he would have liked really good food. And I know he made really good wine. So we must place ourselves within the Jesus experience environment. And we must recalibrate our thoughts as to what we think mercy and grace really are and what they look like in our lives. Because we're like, fine, I like your definition of grace. God giving me the good stuff that I don't deserve. I don't deserve to be an Olympic athlete. I want that from God. I want more money. I want more success. I want more whatever you want to say. Mercy, withholding the bad stuff. Love that definition. So please, God, withhold the bad stuff. And then we define the bad stuff as poverty and sickness and death. And to be sure, I think God is concerned with the temporal reality. But God is equally concerned. That's probably not strong enough. Equally concerned, temporal, eternity. I mean, he's certainly concerned about the temporal. I mean, there's got to be some word to express that the plan of God is both present and future, but it's weighted for the future. It's weighted for eternity. And so when the Bible, when the author of Hebrews talks about mercy and grace, God withholding the bad stuff that we do deserve and giving us the good stuff that we don't deserve, it's going to be weighted for eternity. I think it's also weighted for relationships. Because when I think about the larger narrative of the Bible from beginning to end, it's this story about God creating, God being in relationship with his creation, that relationship getting broken, and then God going through various means to repair that relationship. It's not just weighted for eternity, but it's also weighted for relationships. And if we are to follow Christ, to model Christ, should not our lives be characterized by mercy and grace given to others? And I get it. It is so hard sometimes, so hard to be merciful and gracious. 
It, it is so hard to, to, to have the person's, they're, they're in your sights, maybe bad metaphor. Um, they're, they're on the tree branch and you've got the chainsaw and you can cut the tree branch down and they fall to the ground and you don't do it. You know, you, just, you have the ammunition and take them out. Probably a bad metaphor again, I'm sorry. In our day-to-day relationships, how often do we let the bad happen and withhold the good? As opposed to withholding the bad and letting the good happen. Just, just think about who you relate to. Man, it can be so hard to be gracious. It can be so hard to be merciful. The discussion about mercy and grace really is a discussion about natural consequence that, that kind of puts things on tilt. And I'm a strong believer in natural consequences. But the natural consequence of living in the world in which I live and behaving in the way I behave on my own means that I deserve to die e- eternally. I'm not talking about physical death. I deserve to be separated from God. But God says, no, I'm going to exhibit mercy in your life and give you grace. And Jesus Christ shows up on the scene, and Jesus Christ says, you follow me, and you have eternity. It's not just the case of not being judged, okay? It's not just withholding the bad stuff. It's giving you the good stuff. It's not just paying your fine. It's giving you an extra hundred bucks, it's not just rescuing you from poison. It's giving you a Michelin-starred meal. It's not just rescuing. It's providing. It's not just getting you out of a, into a homeless shelter, but giving you a home. It is withholding what is deserved and giving what is not deserved. It is having the coup de grace and not striking. It is forgiving someone. and letting them back into your life. It's withholding the bad and giving the good. And it's a pretty good offer. Like I said, Tanya hates when I negotiate, and so I've gotten better at not negotiating. My best or worst negotiation, depending upon your perspective, was I showed up at a garage sale that was put on to um, benefit the Boy Scouts or something like this, and I was just starting Telemark skiing, and so they had a pair of Telemark skis, and the price tag on the Telemark skis was $2.50. It's not a bad number. I was young, and I didn't have any money, okay? I was an intern at Wooddale Church. They didn't pay anything. Sorry, Wooddale Church. Love you out there. But it's true, you know? Going to school. So I go up to the guy, and I'm like, how about a bucket a quarter? He just laughed at me. He's like, you got to be kidding me. And I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. We can ask Jesus... Mercy and grace, your death, your resurrection, salvation through you, we can ask Jesus Christ, is that the best you could do? Jesus says, yeah, it's my best. It's my best. It's my best. 
Please pray with me. In the quietness of the moment, I hope that our confession involves Jesus best. I invite you to please stand. Let's sing together.